This episode of the Full English Breakfast is produced in association with the English Chess Federation. Visit EnglishChess.org.uk. Hello, this is Vladimir Kramnik, and you're listening to the Full English Breakfast with Lauren Strand and Stephen Gordon. This is episode number 12 in a collector's series, and for the first time, the FEB is coming to you from on location in Sheffield, England, where the British Championship has just concluded, and sitting right next to me for a change are International Master Lawrence Trent and Grandmaster Stephen Gordon. This is great. This is a first, isn't it? All of us in the same room, <laughs> doing this together. I think it's going to be funny to being able to watch you while you're talking about this. You know, I'm, that's the part I'm looking forward well, to. Well, I'm looking forward to just staring into your eyes for the oh. next four 40 minutes. Wow, don't get me so excited. I know. Well, I can get you guys a separate room if you want. Uh... <laughs> We've got the new British champion as our guest, plus we'll talk about Dortmund and the radical idea to spice up tournaments from Rustam Kazimjanov. So, Stephen, you were battling it out here in Sheffield for the past for tonight, if I may. <laughs> Tell us about it, how did you fare? I thought I did okay, but I was a little disappointed with the middle of the tournament because, um, you know, I played, I played Howell in round four and, you know, he, he gave me a bit of a spanking and um, I didn't really recover. Um, and I'd set a goal before the tournament to, to get a game against each of the big four. So, we're talking like Adam Short, Howell and Gawain Jones. And, I managed to play two of them in the end. I got a game against Short, which was, you know, nice for me because uh, it, it was it was good to be part of the, the excitement on the last day. But I'd say overall, it's slightly disappointed, but you know, I'm just glad it's over. Actually, two weeks of chess is a lot, and uh, you gained points though, didn't you? you gain a couple of points? Maybe a maybe a point a point for my rating. Doesn't really move much these days, but what can you do? Solid eh? you are. That's right. <laughs> what was the highlight of the tournament for you? What's really interesting is that. There's a lot of players who are catching up the top grandmasters. I mean, you look at people like Hawkins. You saw it yesterday with Yang, Yang Fanzu. These guys can really play a bit of chess. And, um, you know, there's a lot of strong players in Britain at the moment. So it was, it was just fantastic to see all the top players turning out for the, for the national championships, which we haven't had in a long time. I thought David was David Howe was going to be in the mix for the last round. In fact, I went away from round 10 thinking that he was at least going to draw his game. And then I found out the next morning that he'd gone down to Hawkins. And actually, it was a bit, it was a bit more open than I thought it was going to be. I thought Short and Adams might, might run away with it at some point. But Gawain Jones and Jonathan Hawkins were still in there. Which surprised me a bit, but you know, N- Nigel played some great chess. I think it should be noted that he, he probably played the best out of the top players and uh, thoroughly deserved to, to be in a playoff. Excellent to see um, the top players play. I think it's important. Well, yeah, I, I mean, we've, we've had this discussion before with Nakamura um, whether he should be playing the US Championships or not. I, th- I think it's just it, it's good for the British players to get a chance against these top guys, you know. Like players like Hawkins, who conceivably could be making the England team in a year or two's time if he keeps going the way he is, he gets to play Adams and he gets to play Short and he gets, you know, some experience against the sort of people that you'd be playing in an Olympiad. So, you know, I think it's really beneficial for the players who are coming through. 
Well, in the last round, uh, Adams was the odds-on favorite with White against Yang Fang Zhao, uh, who's rated just 24-44. What was exciting about it was that all of the top four boards went deep into the second time control, and there were there was a moment where it looked like we could have even had a four-way tie. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, Jonathan Hawkins, international master, scored his second GM norm here, and he was pressing against Peter Wells, who had you know some serious time pressure problems as well. Managed to draw it. In not a surprise, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, sh I'm sure Pete might yeah. be. Pete might be listening to this. Pete's a top guy, by the way. He's got a baby girl. She's uh, nearly a year old, actually. Yeah. Um, so he's a new. He's a new daddy. So he's had uh, uh, other things on his mind as well. But one thing, Pete, I'm sure he'd admit is that he has had problems controlling his clock. But for some reason, he's actually quite good handling himself in the time control uh, a lot of the time. But I think Hawkins missed quite a big opportunity in that game. Well, he's definitely better. I mean, there was I'm not so sure what was going on in the Gawain's game against Nick Pert, but Hawkins was definitely at some point substantially better. And um, if he wins, then he gets himself into the playoff. But, you know, the, the game sort of twists and turns at the end because uh, even, even Mickey's, it looked like he was worse at one point and then he's back in it. Could he be better? I mean... Mine against Nigel. In the middle, it looked like he was probably okay, but then maybe I started pressing a little bit. So it was just a tense situation for everyone involved. And uh, the way it worked out, it was quite a spectacle to just have Mickey and Nigel in the playoff. Obviously, Gawain's got an opportunity to come equal first, which is huge for him. And the way he's going, by the way, we should make a quick note of this, that it's very conceivable that Gawain... Uh, enters the top four. Um, he's going to be really fighting out with David at the moment to, to grab that fourth spot. Well, Jones uh, on an upswing. He won the uh, Commonwealth mm. Championship mm. Uh, on tie breaks uh, ahead of short. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, after the last round, I uh, had a quick chat with Nigel. Uh, he's been having a great year, has had a string of shared firsts. Uh, in tournaments from Angola to Thailand. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's a strange uh, tournament. I've actually played um, very well here by my standards. Um, I like my game against Jonathan Hawkins, beating Gawain actually quite easily. Uh, he's a much improved uh, player. Uh, you know, I, I had this feeling after the London Classic last year that somehow I was, uh, this was the end for me as, as, a, as a chess player. And, uh, and my recovery has really come from Gibraltar, uh, where I oh, well, played on steroids. Not literally kids. <laughs> uh, and since then, I've been going, going very well. You know, my, my rating reflects that. I was under 2650 and it was going southwards and now nudging 2700. So, I, you know, I've got this ambition to, to win tournaments in, in more countries than anyone else, so I don't know. <laughs> how, how are you going towards this goal? I, I haven't counted exactly, but I think it's something like maybe 23 countries sometimes one tournament you know well I smell a crowdsourcing uh, mission here this is <laughs> the kind of thing that our audience could probably uh, find out the exact number of countries and sure, I'm sure there are people in front of me you know but I'm not dead and I intend to continue so I'll look for some uh, obscure places where I can uh, go and win some events 
Well, lastly, uh, two rapid games, game 20. So there's got to be a British champion, right? Yeah, and uh, it's better than what they did at the Commonwealth Championship, where I basically I got shafted on Buchholz, which is nothing more than a coin flip, and uh, at least this will be decided on by chess. So uh, I think we've been neck and neck throughout. I mean, Mickey just uh, edged ahead of me in round, round nine, and then I caught him. I think other than that, we've more or less been tied all, you know, all the way through. So we're the only two undefeated uh, players, so I think it's appropriate. For me, there the was a favourite, and it was Mickey. And that's not because Mickey was playing better. I don't think he was, but Nigel's such a creative player, and, I'm, and I feel as though his openings are a bit risky, and... I think he needs time on his clock to make them work in the way that he wants. And for that reason, because Mickey's solid and he's, he's quite used to playing, his, playing the same openings and he's decent at rapid chess, I just felt as though he, he might have had the edge. And as well, if he's done some preparations for you know one or two of Nigel's offbeat tries, then possibly can get an advantage. And I think that's what happened today, really. Yeah, the first game was a very old system, that uh, short try, because he's normally a 1E4 player. Mickey got a very comfortable game quite early on, and in the end, Mickey just thought, well, OK, I've got the half point here. Let's see what I can do with White. So really not a, not a sweat for Mickey. And then in the second game, he had White against one of these really offbeat Karakans that Nigel plays and he actually played against Mickey in the London slightly different in the London but um, Mickey had obviously prepared something and one was probably winning within what 20 moves more or less 22 moves well it just looked really unpleasant early on and um, he was finding some pretty good moves wasn't he once he got the advantage and basically Nigel had a prospectless position in the second one and it must have you know he must have been kicking himself for trying what he did against Mickey yeah. Such a such a big game. We did, of course, speak to the winner, Michael Adams, after the playoff to get his immediate reaction. What was your hardest game? Um, well, the whole tournament was just really hard work. Actually, uh, I mean, nothing went uh, nothing went smoothly. Really, I mean, against uh, Galway, and I got worse from you know kind of equal position, and I was very close to losing against David Howe. I think I was. You know, just pulling down, I mean, some chances to hold. And against Nigel, also very bad. I mean, it sort of looked quite not too bad because I had this 7.5 out of 9. It yeah. looks very pretty, but it, it was really hard work, basically. So was it a case that you think the opposition played better or that you, you weren't actually on form as much? Well, it was much stronger opposition, so okay. you can't really compare. But uh, I don't know. I mean, normally, normally you like to win some games smoother. I mean, I thought Nigel was playing much better, actually, in general. It seemed to me Nigel was winning games quite smoothly yeah. a, a lot of the time. Actually, I had to, I used some preparation in second game. I mean, I yeah. was looking to get this line. I mean, no one plays directly knight f3 now because they all want to play this. Uh, you know, it just went completely out of fashion. But, well, it's kind of quite a straightforward move. And I think I just got a, you know, a pleasant position. I mean, OK, it, it's difficult with 20 minutes if you have a difficult position, not just not easy to defend. Do you ever read anything that's written about you during the tournament? So no, I don't read any chess no. sites during the tournament. No. 
maybe sometimes I might see something on Twix I'm downloading games or something but uh, no I completely avoid and <laughs> especially kind of you know special places like the ECF forum you know, <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> yeah. which can be fun to read but during a tournament yeah. I think it would be catastrophic so, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, obviously you won the tournament British champion again what's your favourite tipple when you win a tournament and obviously you celebrate with your wife um are you are you a spirits man? Do you go for champagne? Are you or are you just happy with a nice glass of raspberry juice? I don't know. <laughs> or cranberry. We don't really drink raspberry. Um, yeah. No, I think I might manage something slightly stronger than cranberry juice this evening, unless it's mixed with something else. But uh, no, I don't know. I think we would having be having an Indian and uh, quite a lot of drinks. I'm not too Sounds sure. Sounds good to me. <laughs> I'm I'm really glad, and uh, I think the most important thing to underline from this tournament is that we've had the possibility of having Nigel, Mickey, David, and Gawain all playing. Naturally, we miss Luke. Um, I know he's potentially returned back to work now. I'm not quite sure about the situation, but it's a big effort from CJ and um, Darwin Strategic as well, who have been sponsors here. Um, so uh, we should really take our, our hats off to them because without them, quite simply, it's not possible. Definitely a, a feather in the cap of the ECF. Yesterday I met with the president of the English Federation, CJ Demoy, who is an actor primarily and gained notoriety in England as a quiz show expert. Well, currently a panelist on the British series Eggheads. Eggheads, yeah. But in October 2009 was elected to the president of the ECF with a whopping 83% of the vote. CJ, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting us up to Sheffield. Thanks very much. It's lovely for you to be here. Um, I think you're enjoying the last day of the tournament, but uh, I think the whole two weeks has been spectacular, so it's good for you to come along. I understand you're an egghead. Um, I have that dubious distinction. You know, I play um, somebody who's won a few uh, shows in my past, but I'm very much the bad boy of the quizzing fraternity. Well, I was thinking about this because in the US, um, egghead is kind of an anti-intellectual epithet uh, you know, connoting uh, someone who's kind of off in their own world, lacks common sense, which is in a way a part of the kind of typical chess stereotype. But it's not been my experience that uh, that most chess players are actually like that. They tend to be more the exception than the rule. I wonder what your experience has been. Well, I think the term egghead was first um, used in a derogatory term towards Adlai Stevenson, um, which, considering his appearance, was probably quite fair. But he was very much um, an intellectual type in the US. But as it's come over here, it has become not an insult, but not terribly um, a term of friendship. The two, if you like, intellectual fraternities I've been most involved with of quizzers and chess players, there are an awful lot of similarities between them. But intellectualism isn't really one thing you associate with either group. You can understand why people would think that. It's very stereotypical. They're both pursuits that use knowledge, intelligence, and memory, and all those things people associate with egg-headedness. But I've generally found most quizzes, most chess players, and most people I've met in any sort of intellectual field as very down-to-earth and very friendly, um, surprisingly friendly, actually. Um, most of them tend to be very liberal, very open, very tolerant, and I think these are qualities and aspects that most people wouldn't associate and are sometimes very surprised by. So despite the fact I am known as 
the king of eggheads and maybe the ultimate geek, I'm quite happy to be associated with these people. What made you decide to run for ECF president? To be perfectly honest, um, it was suggested to me at the British Championships in 2009, and I'd never really considered it before, but thought, well, I don't want to play, but I'm always following chess tournaments, always visiting them, I follow them assiduously online, so why not try and do something to help? A lot of people were desperate for change within the ECF, and it didn't really matter what it was. A lot of the, if you like, old guard was still there. Uh, the gentleman who was president before me, Jerry Walsh, had been there for 12 years. No disrespect to him or other members of the board, but I think the ECF had started to stagnate and wasn't very vibrant, wasn't very active. And it needed somebody, not necessarily with fresh blood, but somebody with some unusual and radical ideas to come and shake it up. So a lot of people asked me to stand, but I think that was partly because they wanted a celebrity as the president, as the figurehead. I don't think they actually expected me to do anything. But hopefully in the last couple of years, culminating so far in the spectacular British Championships, um, I've managed to prove them wrong. Now what he said there was actually very interesting because he is a celebrity. Half the country eats the eats their dinner and watches watches, yeah. watches eggheads. Yeah. It's on at six o'clock exactly. in the evening. It's on at prime time. So everybody knows who he is. Um, he's got his fans and he's also got his detractors, yeah, he's got his detractors, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, but I think in He's certainly the biggest personality on definitely. the show. You know, it's he's a very interesting guy to watch. Yeah. But, you know, him coming in, as I, I think, will benefit. And I think a good example is actually the, the, the partnership with uh, Darwin Strategic. Yeah, I think the general consensus is that um, CJ becoming part of the ECF has been a massive success. And, well, I mean, you can see it with this year's championship. It's just that uh, it speaks for itself. And we're all really grateful. So, by the way, I read that the British slang equivalent of egghead is boffin. Boffin, yeah. Do you yeah. actually use that in conversation? Oh, yeah, back in the day. Boffin was what that boffin was a word in high school. Was it? Yeah, he's a boff. <laughs> he's a boff. You know, he's a he's a. It would mean like you're stupid. He's a geek. You know? Yeah, he's yeah. a geek. Boffin is geek. That is a. Uh, although it's not strictly the actual word, but the way we used it in a slang term was. What's a nerd? Is, a, is that the same thing? Yeah, same sort of thing. You can use they're interchangeable. Did anyone ever call you a boff? Yeah, I've got the odd boff, and then I used to boff them in the in the face. <laughs> You can find photos and video from the British Championship on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the FEB. Remember, when you're on that page, guys, don't forget to press the like button. Last weekend in July wrapped up the 24th annual Sparkasta chess meeting in Dortmund, won for the 10th time by Vladimir Kramnik. Kramnik had a nearly unblemished record in Dortmund this year and actually won the tournament with a round to spare. But then, in an effort to go for a massive plus-six score and try to get back over 2,800, he lost with White to Kaoru Nakamura in the last round in a pretty wild game. Mm. Did you see that I game? I saw that game. I saw it. I saw it. You can understand his, um, his ambition. Just as a, as a spectator of the top-level stuff, it, it looked as though Kramnik was falling away from Aronian, Anand, Carlsen. They looked like the big three. But, you know, him and Karyakin, who definitely deserves a mention in that top group, they, they look like the, the pull in the gap. It's definitely promising because, well, we want to see Kramnik back there. We want to see him challenging for another World Championship match and he's really shown that he's capable. I'm sure 
Nakamura will be loving the way that he ended the tournament with a win against him with the Black Bits, but fair play to Kramnik for going for it, even when he's won the tournament. Well, Nakamura was having a miserable tournament. He mm. was minus three uh, going into the last weekend and then managed to win the last two games. Uh, but he told me after his round nine win over Meyer that he'd been using online poker to relax in the evenings. And in fact, he's been playing quite a lot of poker recently, including the World Series of mm. Poker in Las Vegas last month. You played in the, the World Series. Uh-huh. Inevitably, some people would, would look at even that decision and also what you're just saying now about playing last night as being a sign of not being serious about chess. Is that, is that fair or unfounded? Or uh, I think that's, that's quite unfounded. I've, I mean, I wouldn't have gotten to where I am if I wasn't serious about chess. I think really, as far as, far as the World Series went, that was more, uh, I had some backers. I, I, I was got, got to have a great experience while I was out there in Vegas. And, um, you know, I certainly plan on playing more poker. Having said that, now that I'm here and I, I'm, I'm playing poker, as far as that goes, it's simply a matter of, uh, when you when you play so many bad games in a row, it, it's it starts to really wear on you. And I, I I know that I've saved at least three games where I was pretty much completely lost. Uh, so it's sort of just a way of taking the edge off, trying to uh, clear my head. And I think you know for the most part today it worked because having not prepared for the game, just coming in with a with a, you know being fresh at the board, I think I think that my calculation in general was better overall. So. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm fairly serious about poker, but I'm also quite serious about chess, and I'm not planning on quitting anytime soon. Life is short. You have to enjoy life, and uh, whether I'm playing chess and not enjoying it like I am during this tournament or playing poker and having a good time, it's all, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about the person, and you have to be happy with, uh, with, with the way your life is. And uh, so we'll see. We'll see where it all, all goes. I tried my hand at poker a few years ago. Do you know that, Steve? I've I've played in Vegas. I got caught in the wave that hit us all when it got on the TV. But I think, Steve, would you agree that it is nonsense to say he's not serious about chess? I mean, the guy's got a 27-70 rating, or at least did have before this tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be his priority. It sounds to me as though he's just um, he's taking the poker, just uh, just see how it goes, you know, ride the wave and and see how he can do. Um, I mean, he's he's another one who should be mentioned as like he's. He's found himself in the top ten in the world, and why can't he be challenging to get a world championship match in the next few years? You know, so I'm, I'm sure he, he treats chess as his absolute top priority. Well, by the way, we have another uh, prize opportunity here this month. We have an original limited edition Dortmund program signed by all six players. Well, that's nice. Kramnik, Likang, Panamariov, Nakamura, Giri, and Meyer. For one lucky supporter, anyone who donates to the show using the donate button on our homepage at thefeb.com will be entered to win. That is a great prize. Pretty impressive. Um, I might even have to donate a little bit myself. All right, so finally for this episode, I want to talk about the recent proposal by Uzbek Grandmaster Rustam Kazimjanov, who's a former FIDE world champion and for the past few years also on the team of world champion Vishyanand. In a nutshell, Kazimjanov wants to remove the draw as a result from tournament play by having drawn classical games result in a rapid tiebreak played immediately with reversed colors. And the reversed colors part is key. So you play a classical game, if it's a draw, swap colors and play a game 20 rapid game. If it's still a draw, swap colors again and play game 10, followed by blitz, until there's a winner. Kasimjanov argues 
that the draw result harms the sport and discourages commercial sponsorship, and so that by playing an immediate tiebreak with reverse colors, the player with white has an incentive to play for a win in the classical game, and each pairing produces a winner, ultimately. I, like, I kind of like the concept. You get an outright winner. Um, the thing is, it sounds difficult to implement. You can only do this in tournaments where there's one game a day. And to be fair, chess players get knackered anyway. After, after a few days of slugging it out for five or six hours, you know, you're going to have, you, you could have people, if they're evenly matched, game days that are lasting 10 hours. What do you think, Jenny? Yeah, I mean, the, the concept is interesting because obviously the, the, the purpose of, of this whole thing is for the good of chess in, yeah. in, in the long term. More sponsorship. Uh, its status as a, as a sport and, and you know better conditions for everybody all around. There's a major flaw with with what he's said, um, and actually, one of the participants here, Grandmaster Danny Gormali, who um, who I was having a chat with, actually told me, apart from what Stephen said, there's the logistical problems of actually organising all of this after the game anyway, which is quite difficult. If you have a classic match that lasts seven hours, then you've got potentially another few hours. You know, it's just not feasible. Um, the biggest problem is this, um, and I think Kazim Janov in his original article made uh, some references to tennis and the parallels between tennis and, and chess. Big difference is when you have a tie break in tennis, the point is exactly the same. In, as, in, in other words, you win a point, just as you would do in a, in a normal set. The difference between long play chess and rapid play chess is that they are two different animals. Now, I'm not saying, of course, if you look at the top players in the world, of course, they're still going to be the top rapid players, but it's a totally different dynamic. And as a result, it's not a fair reflection on the results But is it, is it not? Would, wouldn't it make it a fairer reflection? Just because then they have to fight it out at long play, they have to fight it out at rapid, and they could be fighting it out at blitz. They have to show that they're skillful whatever time they've got on the clock. For chess enthusiasts, you like to see a good game, long play game, because you, you want to see the best moves and you want to you see a good quality game. But I know, like, when, when my mates are on, they, some of them watch me, but it must be so boring for them mm. to watch for seven hours. They don't really know mm. the, the intricacies of the game. They might be able to count the pieces or sort of judge where the initiative is. But, you know, they don't want to sit there watching it for seven hours. I think that's a big problem, getting it out there to the wider audience, is that, you know, the, the chess enthusiasts want long games. The wider audience want to see some rapid chess. What, plus, from a spectator standpoint, if you're there for a given round, you know, in a sense, you don't really mind if it does go to a short draw in two hours, let's say, or, because you still get to see the tiebreak. And that, so you, you don't lose the... The excitement for the spectators and the sponsors aren't aren't uh, unhappy. Now there is the question about the the endurance. Yeah, that's a big that's a big question mark for me. Right. Which so, top player is going to want to play three games a day well, for I, twelve days? I put this to Magnus Carlsen uh, in Beal two weeks ago, and here was his take on it. I actually thought it was was interesting. So uh, I know it's been implemented in the Danish Championship at least. I don't know what the reactions were there, but. Uh, Sounds, um, it sounds uh, interesting, and it would be uh, it would be more demanding for for the players um, because we would possibly have to play for uh, five six hours at least every day. But uh, I mean, 
that's uh, sport. By the way, in the Danish championship, they called it gladiator chess. And there was an interesting comment by uh, Jakob Agard uh, in Chess Today about his experience playing there. He, he said that the tournament was exciting till the end and the public must have liked it. The players hated it. Suneberg Hansen, his, in his winner's speech, included the words, quote, this system does not work. But, Jakob continues, to this day I'm still convinced that he is wrong and that it should be tried again on a high level and suggests even that the London Chess Classic might be a good venue for it uh, maybe next year. Wow. As a player, you're not really looking forward to that. But as a spectator, I'm, I'm quite happy to see that. If that's going to happen in Anand Carlson at some point, I'd love to see that. I think, I think the deciding factor will be this, and unfortunately I think this is a deciding factor with everything in life, money. If the players are going to be getting more money as a result of the commercial benefits of doing something like this, and there is a more of attraction for sponsorship, then they're going to have to like, like it and, and, and lump it. They're going, to have to, they're going to have to just think, okay, great, I might be playing seven hours today, but actually this year I'm earning 100,000 more than I did last year as a result of added sponsorship. The most positive thing out of all of this, whether it's employed or not, is that we are trying to find a way, or when I say we, I mean the chess community, is trying to find a way to get it more commercially viable. So we'll see what happens. Well, I definitely agree there should be more pay for more work, and that's obviously part of the idea, that if you make chess more exciting, it should make it easier to attract a wider audience, like you said, like your flatmates, uh, and, uh, and therefore uh, there should be more sponsorship opportunities coming out of it. Well, thanks very much to Mickey, Nigel, and CJ Demoy for inviting us up here to Sheffield. And thanks to Kramnik for doing our intro. And thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes to get the podcast automatically each month. You'll find the link on our homepage, thefeb.com. And www.facebook.com. Just like it for the sake of the chess world. The future of chess. <laughs> it's in your hands, Trenny. It's in our hands. It's in your hands. Give me your hand. (laughs) It's in our hands. Wow.